Well, good morning to you all. If you're new here, my name is Tony. I'm pastor here at LEFC, and uh, we are entering the funnest season of the year. I love Christmas. And last night, I've got a declaration to make. I watched the brand new Christmas Hallmark movie that came out last night, (laughs) and I enjoyed it. I I had to admit that I was ready to call out, it's the same storyline and so on. This is my annual like frustration I share before the congregation. But last night's movie was like, it had twists and turns that I did not expect. And, but Hallmark didn't let me down. It ends with a kiss every time. (laughs) Ends with a kiss every time. And and it did that. And so uh, uh, my wife was pleased and I'm smiling. So at... uh, (laughs) Anyway, well, enjoy this season as we go into it. I know that there's a lot to anticipate and enjoy uh, that comes ahead with gatherings uh, with family and friends. If you will, we are going to turn in our Bibles to Daniel chapter 10 today. Uh, Just to explain, if you again, you're new here, uh, we're in the midst of a series where we're studying the life of a man who uh, was an Israelite. It was actually a prince of, of Judah, an offspring, uh, many generations later after King David. And, uh, and so with, with him, he was a part of the captured kingdom. And so they took them from, uh, from Israel to Babylon. And as part of that, being a prince, a part of the royal blood of, of Israel as a conquered people, the Babylonians take the, the best of the litter, if you will, and they incorporate them into the palace service. And so Daniel is, is forced to serve a foreign king and to serve in a context that wasn't exactly exciting for him. In fact, it was difficult. They were forced to learn about other gods. They were forced to learn and behave according to patterns that were offensive to them. Uh, they were given names that they didn't like that often referred to God that were, were false and foreign, and, uh, and not to uh, keep belittling this or bring this up, it, it was difficult because they also uh, emasculated these men uh, when they served, and so they lost their dignity as, as male uh, men and, and human beings. And so there was a lot for Daniel to be, quite frankly, disappointed, disillusioned, and discouraged with his life, but yet over the decades of serving in Babylon, uh, 70 years, he not only thrived there, but he became the key influencer over the kingdom of Babylon, and, and in particular with four separate kings. And so what we're learning from him, and the reason why we're studying this now is that we're in a culture that not necessarily we embrace. I mean, we love being Americans. I'm a proud American. I voted uh, this past week or a couple weeks ago in the vote. You know, I want to participate in those freedoms. But there's a lot about society I don't care about. And, and it's really easy to, quite frankly, be discouraged by what is going on. And, and depending on the context of what you live, you may find that if you are a person of faith where you want to live out your Christian faith and Jesus is the center of your life, you may find that it's not well received. And you might feel the tendency of wanting to be discouraged or feel defeated or isolated. And the reality is you don't have to. There's so much going on that, uh, that we're not aware of and that God is doing and that God can do through you. I mean, think about it. Daniel was very isolated. He was in a foreign kingdom, and yet just 
honoring God, being committed to his uh, heavenly father, it allowed him opportunities that he never expected. He never invited himself into any of it. He just simply was faithful. And so today, we're looking at a very unique part of Daniel. In fact, if you are not, let's say, usually around churches or have been exposed to the Word of God, you're coming in and hearing a sermon that, quite frankly, may be the most strangest thing you've ever heard. And so we're going to dive into something that is going to be very unfamiliar to you, if that's the case. And for those of us that maybe have grown in the church, I would say it's an area of scripture or a a subject matter that we're often not as familiar with. Uh, And so while we're aware of it to some degree, we live most of our lives in denial of its existence. So to lead into this, What I would like to ask is, because I think this relates to those who have grown up in the church and those who have not, is have you ever been so troubled by something that is going on in your life that you entered a season where you were pleading to God? Even if you didn't know who God was or who God is, you were so troubled, you prayed. You prayed to a God that maybe you don't know his name but, and, and to a God that maybe you're unfamiliar with, but you prayed because you were so troubled. Perhaps, depending on, again, your historical experiences, that you were so troubled and you were so deep into prayer, you quit eating. You started to fast. You started to do separate things. Your schedule began to change because you were so troubled by what was going on in your life. Daniel, after being in decades in Babylon and serving and seeing God do some amazing things through him and around him, hit that point where he became so troubled by something that he began to fast and pray. So let's look at this in context. It's Daniel 10. We're going we're gonna to look in verse 1, and what basically has happened prior to 10.1 is that, that you, there was a vision that Daniel received about the future. It was about a great battle that was going to happen against the kingdom of Israel and on this earth. And it was such a ferocious battle, that, and, and, and he believed it to be truly a reality that's going to happen in future that he was so troubled by it that he, that he was immediately shifting in his perspective and in his presence. So look what happened. So in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the vision, message came to him in a vision. And at that time, I, Daniel, mourned, For three weeks, I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Let me just stop there for a moment. So troubled that not only did he stop eating 
and he was praying. We know this from later in the text that he was using that time to pray. It doesn't say that in those three verses, but he quit eating the choice foods. He quit eating, the, drinking the wine, and on top of that, he quit using the lotions that would cause his body to smell well. So he quit bathing. That's how troubled he was by this vision. And, and he was wondering, you know, what could this mean? I mean, the, 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 the definitions, it says some of the fulfillment of this vision was explained to him, but it troubled him a great deal. How do you handle such things? I mean, I can remember at different seasons of my life, there was a, a point in time in my transition from youth ministry to coming to LAFC that I was so overwhelmed by the journey and the walk of faith that it was, I hit a season where I didn't even know how to pray anymore. I just started fasting. I was out of words. I couldn't understand all that God was doing. And, 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 and there were things that were in the future that I yet did not realize. And, and so, yet I, I, I'm seeking the Lord for understanding and what I should do now. And it seemed silent. Or how about just two years ago when my wife was fighting cancer? You're praying. There were times where I couldn't eat. And I'm praying and, my, and I didn't feel like necessarily the Lord was giving me peace. But I still nonetheless kept going to him, hoping that there would be some kind of response. Do you relate to such a season? Where the troubled spirit that you might have, something is going on that's so intense, you're left without words, you're left without understanding, and you just cry out to God and you wonder if God will ever hear or respond. For three weeks, Daniel felt this. And for three weeks, it was silent. But I want to jump forward just a few verses because something happens. A man shows up, what appeared like a man. There was a glow to him, and, and it talks about his face being like no other. And so it became clear to Daniel, this was a messenger direct from God, literally an angel. So in verse 12, let's look what happens when this angel begins to speak to Daniel. And we're going to, again, I'm, I'm warning you, this is going to take on a direction that is going to be a head-scratcher, okay? So here we go. Verse 12, and it says this, uh, the angel speaking, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day, since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me. How long? 21 days. How long was Daniel fasting and praying? Three weeks. How long is three weeks and days? All right, connecting some dots here, right? You guys are very sharp this morning. About a third of you answered me. So... So you have this situation, he says, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, 
came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. All right, I'm just going to stop. Who's the prince of Persia? Who's the king of Persia? And who's Michael? Because none of these are the characters that are found in the book of Daniel. And at least not in the realm that we might think it is. Because in this place, in this moment, where Daniel is residing, which is in Babylon, it is Persia. Now, was this angel fighting some offspring of the king of Persia? Was this king of Persia that is referenced a few phrases later in verse 13, was that indeed the king that at the time he's serving here, which would be Cyrus, was that the king that this prince or this uh, fight was happening between this angel and him, or was this other? Then it mentions Michael. It seems as though that whatever the battle is between this angel and the prince and king of Persia was kind of in a stalemate until Michael, the chief of princes, shows up and helps. Then the battle seemingly gets to a place where the angel is now able to show up before Daniel and deliver the meaning of the vision. Anybody confused yet? What you see going on here is that the prince of Persia, the king of Persia, is not the physical prince of Persia or the physical king of Persia. It is literally a referring to a hierarchy within the spiritual realm. And then you have in here the situation where it brings up Michael, who we know throughout many scriptures in the Old Testament, was not only one of the chief princes of the angelic realm, but in particular, he is the prince or the angel, the main archangel that would be the protector of Israel. We'll see that later described in Daniel 10, that he is the prince of Israel. And so you have these figures, a prince, a king, and a chief of princes that is brought up in this moment that Daniel's probably scratching his head going, who are we talking about? You see, Cyrus is spoken of positively. Cyrus the king, the physical king of Persia, was actually predisposed to being kind to Israel and actually is part of sending the Israelites back from Babylon to Israel. So we're not talking about Cyrus and we're not talking about Cyrus's son. We are literally talking about demonic forces. So Daniel's troubled. He receives this vision and, and, and it's so overwhelming. He begins to fast and pray and he says specifically that he fasted and prayed for three weeks. He didn't eat, he didn't drink uh, the, the wine, and he didn't bathe himself. But what we see in verse 12 is that this messenger, when he shows up and says, I was dispatched immediately. 
So when Daniel on day one began to be so troubled that he fasted and prayed, on day one, God heard him. And God responded. I mean, look what it says. Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. So for three weeks, Daniel thinks God has heard nothing. God has seen nothing. God is silent and God is not working. But the reality was, from day one, God was working, God had heard, and God had responded, and there was something going on that Daniel could not see. God, from the beginning, could see, God could hear, and God was responding. From day one, Daniel could not see. God, Daniel was seeking God, however, and Daniel was having to trust that there was stuff going on that he could not see, and that is the reality. And so you've got this angel who fights a 21-day battle to get from his dispatchment place, likely the throne room of God, to the place where Daniel was. And for 21 days, the battle raged. And it wasn't until the higher angel, Michael, shows up to be able to move these demons that were king and prince of this area of the world. It wasn't until the archangel of Israel came in and got involved with the battle that the messenger was finally released to come and speak to Daniel. Anybody's interest kind of peaked now. This is such a strange moment because typically speaking, those of us that live in the physical realm, which is everybody here in this room, we rarely get the curtain pulled back to see the spiritual realm. In fact, because that rarely happens, most of us live in denial that it even exists. For Daniel, we don't have any sense that prior to this, other than through visions, that there's any kind of occasion that Daniel would have been prepared for this moment. It literally is a moment where because of the troubled spirit, God gives him a gift. He opens the curtain and lets him see, Daniel, day one, I was responding. Day two, day three, up to day 21, I have been working and I've been moving. Even though that entire time, you didn't eat, you didn't drink, you didn't bathe, and you were seeking answers that you did not yet receive. And now I'm giving it to you. But I want you to understand why it has taken 21 days. Daniel wasn't owed that response, but Daniel received it. And he was able to gain understanding that there's something going on. And so let's go more into what is actually being said to give him understanding. So, because there's some things said in that that can help us understand about the unseen battles. So, verse 14 again. Now, the angel speaking, now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So, this is responding to the very request of Daniel. Why, what is it about this vision? Why am I so troubled by it? What is going to happen? When's it going to happen? So, the angel knows 
that what Daniel needs. So verse 15. So while he was saying this to me, I, and this is Daniel speaking, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then the one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish. Keep in mind, he's been for three weeks fasting and, and praying. So he says, I've been overcome with anguish because of this vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. I think if there was an angel in front of me and I'm talking, I wouldn't be able to breathe if I'd been eating for 10 days, solids. You know, it's like, this is quite a moment here. But again, verse uh, 18, uh, it says, uh, Again, the one who looked at, like a man touched me and gave me strength. And then says, Do not be afraid. You who are highly esteemed, he said, peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and, and, and said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, do you know why I've come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. Uh, but first, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. So then the angel goes on to give meaning to the message of which you'll get more of that in chapter 11 and goes in to explain these visions. But that's not where we're going this morning. I want to highlight the seen and the unseen. Because when you and I are troubled about something here on this earth and we begin to go before the Lord and we repeat, it's often a, a common response for us to begin to think, God isn't hearing me, or God is not moving. God is not doing anything because we rely upon that which we can see to determine it. In this situation, you see that God gives Daniel the very thing he seeks. He gives him understanding. Daniel simply wants to understand this vision, and God gives it to him. But then you also see that because of the fasting and praying, Daniel's exhausted. And what does the angel do? God's angel strengthens him. Now you might think this is a nice story for the Old Testament. Is that even possible today? Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14, which is written to the church, says this, Are not all angels, are not all angels, ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. So there you go. You've heard the term guardian angels. It's pretty accurate. I mean, the term guardian might be a little limiting, but the reality is, is that God has in, is given his angels to serve those who are God's children who have been saved by the work of Jesus Christ. And so those angels, while we might be praying to God about many things, it says that several things are going on when we pray. First of all, when we pray, our advocate before God is not some saint. 
It's not some person that's died and gone before us. It's not some angel that advocates to God. It says clearly in Scripture, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who sits at the right hand of God, is the one who advocates on our behalf. And then it says in Scripture, as we see here, that the angels are the armies of heaven, exist for the sake of serving the church and ministering to the church to protect the church and to, yes, strengthen the church. And so then when you see here that the angel is giving the message and says, basically, it's kind of what I would guess that the angel is just kind of giving him information he doesn't need to know, which is, by the way, when I leave you here, I got to go back and fight the prince of Persia all over again. And when I go to fight him, the prince of Greece is going to join him. And when that happens, oh, by the way, your prince, Michael, is going to come and help me. And that's like the ultimate booyah. <laughs> and if you're not young enough to understand what that means, ask somebody who looks younger than me. <laughs> it means that Michael, because of the authority he has in the heavens, they win the day. Because of the name and power of Jesus Christ. I want us to turn, if we can, uh, over to Ephesians chapter 6 to just kind of highlight that this is something that is spoken about clearly through Scripture. If you have the Bibles that were handed out, this will be on page 1100. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. And this is Paul speaking to the church. So a couple thousand years later, long time after Daniel, we get a little bit of a description that affirms what Daniel experienced. But now Paul's not speaking of an actual episode. He's speaking to the reality of what's going on in the spiritual realms. So Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, the physical realm, but rather it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So let me pause there. Let me pause there before we go forward. It says this, that ultimately there is the physical realm. We see that. You and I are living it right now. But what Paul is wanting to make sure that we as a church understand is that our wrestle, our deepest wrestling, our deepest troubling, our deepest battles are actually what we cannot see. But rather, it's in a spiritual realm. And when he describes the spiritual realm, he uses titles. So he says, for we need to be prepared, you know, again, at the end of verse 11, we need to be prepared to stand against the devil's schemes. All right? So the devil is scheming against you. And because of that knowledge, we need to be prepared about a battle that is not flesh and blood. So in verse 12 where it says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against. So, but against. So everything after that is a spiritual structure. Everything is a spiritual title. So here we go. It says, so our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers. 
All right? So against rulers. So in the spiritual realm, there are rulers. In the spiritual realm, there are authorities. In the spiritual realm, there are powers of the, of the dark world. And in the spiritual realm, there are actually forces of evil. Now, again, if you're not normally biblically understanding, this is new to you, I'm just telling you, there is things in this world we cannot see. And it's obvious. How can you, let me just appeal to the physical things that shine on that possibility. How can you see such depraved human beings that are so dark and so evil in what they do if there isn't something evil behind it? How can you explain Hitler any other way? How can you explain the David Koresh's of this world? How can you explain some of the dictators that have annihilated millions of people just at the mere wish of their, of their heart if there was not something so dark and so evil behind it? And so these spiritual forces actually have positions. And it says there's rulers, there's authorities, and then there's armies. So in the Daniel story, what did you get? A prince, a king, and then a chief of princes. So you're talking about significant positions in the spiritual realm. And apparently, whatever this messenger that came to Daniel was of a lower-ranking uh, person, but yet still very powerful. But he needed the higher-ranking Michael to come to his aid because now he was facing not only the prince of Persia, but the king of Persia, and eventually will go against the prince of Greece as well. And so there's this, all these rulers and authorities that are happening in the spiritual realm as Daniel is praying. As you and I pray today, there are things going on around that we cannot see. Things that, are, that might be troubling us that we see that is so dark. There might be things going on that God is doing that would blow our minds if we knew they were happening. So how does Paul instruct the church to handle this reality of a spiritual force. He says this in verse 13. Because of this reality that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but fighting against spiritual rulers and authorities and armies, he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you might be able to stand your ground. And after having done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth. And buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all kinds of occasions. Uh, I'm saying on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Let me stop there. So Paul takes that which they understood. The armor, the battle armor of a Roman soldier. He just used that as imagery that says basically how to prepare for such spiritual battles, take the belt of truth. The belt of truth 
then when you understand how the armor is set up for the, the Roman soldiers, the belt holds everything together. If you take the belt off, everything goes out of position. So uh, what we need to be uh, relying upon is that our armor is built on truth. So if you are not standing in the truth and the realities of God's word, everything will go out of place and you're not very protected in the moment. Then it mentions the breastplate of righteousness, which guards the heart, about the purity of living for God and that righteous living. And then it talks about our feet are meant to take the good news that God is at work and that God has done a redeeming work in the, for humanity through his son, Jesus Christ. And that gospel is our message. And so our feet take us where that gospel needs to go. And then we hold this shield that by faith we trust that God is protecting us. By faith, we can't see that which is going around us, but by faith, I trust that God's got the unseen. And I know this because I'm saved. I have the helmet of salvation, and, and I've trusted in the work of Jesus Christ that he's done on that cross to reconcile me back to God. And then our ultimate weapon, everything else is about the defense and the, and the preparedness and our, and our ability to share how we can have this protection. And it all comes with the weapon of the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. You see, from the beginning, there's always been a spiritual battle. Is that not our human history? Go back to Adam and Eve. Did they merely fail because of the temptation that Adam supplied Eve or Eve to Adam? Or was there a spiritual force at play? The devil schemed. And as a result, Adam and Eve sinned. And, and that sin separated us from God. And therefore, God, since that time, has been about the work of reconciling and paying the price for the sin of mankind so that we can have a relationship back with him. And all of that was focused on Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that, that while the, the, the enemy, the, the devil, had schemed and definitely man had fallen, that in the end of the day, what they could not see is that there was a time already marked that the devil would lose and God would declare ultimate victory. So that is the story of Scripture, is that, that while there is the physical realm where there is much temptation and darkness that we can see, there is stuff behind that that we cannot see. And that's where we have to trust that God is indeed at work in the realms of the unseen. He is our protector. He is our guide, even in the realms when we have no idea what he is doing. So when you pray and you're troubled, know that God has heard from the moment you pray. God has even foreseen your words before you even pray them. And God is at work all the time. I want to close with another point where the curtain is pulled back and God al allows human beings to see the work he is doing. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 11 to 17, and it'll be on the screen. The situation is this, that the, the armies of the Arameans were plotting against Israel and they were trying to conquer the land and it seemed like everything that they tried to do, Israel seemed to know where they were going to the point where the king of Aram says, who is the traitor among us? 
Who is the traitor among us? And that's where we pick up in verse 11. It says, this enraged the king that, that they keep being thwarted by the armies of Israel. So he summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of, tell this the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> the king is furious. So he says, go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan, which is a very small village. He is in Dothan, and then he, said, then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there to just capture one man. Then he went by night and surrounded this village of Dothan. When the servant of Elisha, of God, the man of God, got up and went out early in the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And he said, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Elisha responded, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw that the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Booyah. <laughs> you see, God knows what's going on. And before we even pray, God is at work in the unseen. Let's pray. Father God, you are amazing. Because you know what's upon our lips before we even speak them. You know what's in the, the, the deepest core of our heart before we even realize it. And by, by the time our prayers and petitions and our troubled hearts are now being evident physically and we're speaking to you, you have already been working. So help us to trust that you are working in the unseen. That you are working now in even the most difficult of circumstances that any of us might be in, that you truly are at work and you are a love and compassionate God who is filled with truth. And by the power of that truth, you are at work. And the reality is no force can stand against you. Give us faith to believe that because we trust you as the one true God, creator of heaven and earth and over all powers and dominions. By the power of your son's name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. What I do want to release you with is the good news about Jesus Christ. When we talk about the spiritual realm, there is a means by which we have authority and power even over the dark realm. And that's in the power of Jesus' name. Jesus said that for those who become my children, who trust and put their faith in me, they have the rights as sons and daughters of God. And so therefore, we do not have to be afraid of that which we cannot see because we bear the marks of God on us. So if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, let me introduce you to him now. And let, let those, we'll have people underneath the cross who'll be glad to pray with you uh, to share a little bit more about that. Uh, but we just want to make sure you know Jesus because when you have him in your life, you don't have to fear the things you cannot see. Having said that, the final declaration is this, and it's about our great God. Psalm 147, 5 to 6 says this, Great is, our, is the Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. 
both seen and unseen. The Lord sustains the humble, but guess what he does to the wicked? He casts them to the ground. That includes the physical and the spiritual. So God, we just say thank you that you're in charge, that you're the most powerful one, and that we don't have to fear the spiritual forces of evil. And so Jesus, thank you for being our ambassador, our advocate, and also the one that redeems us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You are dismissed.